Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Joe McCall. Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hey, got a great episode today. We're going to be interviewing a friend of mine, a brand new friend of mine named Jamie Goldenberg, who quit his job recently to do land investing full-time. Land investing is one of my favorite things to talk about right now. It's something that I've been doing for a while, kind of part, part, part-time with my two teenage boys, and they've been making very good money with it, and now we're starting to do it more full-time. I'm even creating a little course about it because all y'all have been asking me forever to create a course on land investing. There's a lot of guys that have really good programs out there. I have my own spin, my own little unique twist on it. And so I love land investing and it's been a very profitable venture for me. And I still do lease options when they come across my table. Lease options are what I kind of cut my teeth with, but I am a big believer and a big fan in flipping vacant land for one simple reason really, it's so much easier to do than houses right now in this market. And so we're going to be talking about that with Jamie. He's going to be on here in a second. I just want to let you know too, that this podcast is brought to you by the FreedomSoft Joe McCall Signature Edition. Um, it's a, it's an amazing tool. I've been using FreedomSoft for years and I use it for my land business, my house business. And FreedomSoft, I've customized it in the Joe McCall Signature Edition uh, for land investors. And so it has all my marketing pieces in there, my land websites, uh, my letters, my follow-up letters, my offers, my contracts, and then workflow automations. Workflow automations is it's what's what FreedomSoft calls the follow-up stuff, you know? So you can get FreedomSoft Joe at hundredsofleads.com. Why hundredsofleads.com? Because within minutes, we show you in this video how you can literally get hundreds of leads within a few minutes buyers and sellers and how you can manage all the leads, do the follow-up, do the mail, do the research. It's an amazing tool. And I think you're going to like it a lot. So go check out the webinar I did with Rob Swanson right there at hundredsofleads.com. Hundredsofleads.com. Cool. By the way, before I bring Jamie on here, this is a live podcast as I'm recording this right now. So hello to all you guys on YouTube and Facebook, um, but also hello to you guys listening on the audio podcast. I so appreciate you guys. We've been doing the podcast on audio for over 11 years. It's crazy. Almost uh, 1,100 episodes and we've still been going strong. We've got over 10 million downloads, listeners in over 170 different countries last I looked. So it's an amazing, awesome platform. I really, really do appreciate you guys listening to the show. If you're watching this right now live on YouTube and Facebook, please type in the comments, say hello, tell us where you are, where you're from. And if you have questions for us about anything we're talking about in this podcast, now is a good time to bring it up. Any questions or highlights or comments or aha moments are like, man, that's awesome. Type it in the comments and I have the ability to show it down below here. Maybe you'll be famous or something like that. <laughs> Who knows? All right, cool. Let's bring Jamie on. Jamie, how are you, my man? Yeah, I'm great. How are you? Good. You, you, I pronounced your last name right? Goldenberg? Yes, you did. Awesome. And you're in Kansas. No, no, you're, you went, you're from Kansas, but you're in North Carolina now. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. All right, cool. So tell us a little bit about how you got into real estate. You went to the University of Kansas. What uh, major did you get while you were there? Yeah, so I, I majored in uh, finance and my older brother actually is a commercial broker. And I've always had this kind of interest in real estate because of him. And it was essentially about three years ago, 
at my full-time job, which great introduction, a, a quick side story, I guess, is so I, my full-time job, they actually, they asked to have me back. So oh. I, I'm working with them still a little bit. So I, okay. so I wouldn't say I've officially quit my job, but I still do this full-time. I still have a great land business. I kind of just, I'm able to balance those both just, just so people know. So anyway, well, you probably, I'm going to guess, you don't have to tell me if it's true or not. You probably get some good benefits maybe with your job that are nice to have like health insurance or something like that. Is that right? Yeah, that's probably the biggest one. Let me just stop you right there. Health insurance. I'm not saying this to brag. It's kind of ridiculous. Actually, we spent 20, almost $21,000 in 2021 for health insurance for me and my family. $21,000 I spent for health insurance being self-employed, right? So that's something you all got to think about when you're thinking about quitting your job or when you hear Jamie say, well, I'm still working a little bit. Health but it is a huge benefit, and especially if you have a family. Expensive. Especially if you have a family. I have four kids, a wife and four kids. Do you have kids yourself, Jamie? I do not. Not yet? Not yet. Come on, brother. All right, <laughs> get on it. Okay, so anyway, and you're in the financial services space. Yeah, so I started in financial services. I ended up working for an energy company doing kind of business development. And it was around three years ago. I was just kind of getting frustrated at work. And I went home one day and I was like, I have to figure this out. I don't really want to work for someone anymore. So I started just writing down ideas of what I could be doing on my own, kind of more entrepreneurial. And then I finally r- picked up Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And, and that's really what got my, my head spinning or my gears turning, I guess, towards like, okay, real estate's where I want to go. How many years ago was that? It, this was, so I, I read that book probably three and a half, four years ago. Cool. Um, I started land investing uh, in July of 2019. That was like when oh, I got- not that long first, ago. Okay. Yeah, not that long ago. So you got um, into you found land pretty quickly then. So I tried wholesaling at first. So that was like one of my first ventures in. You know, I had very little money saved up and kind of that same story is like, okay, how can I get into real estate with no money? So I was trying wholesaling. At the time I was living in Chicago. So wholesaling was taking me to some really sketchy areas around Chicago and I just wasn't really comfortable with that. And I, I wasn't having that much success wholesaling. And so it was kind of serendipitous. I went on a bike ride with a friend and I actually met through this bike ride. I met Willie Goldberg. I was just going to so, ask, w- Willie's been account. on my show twice and he's in Chicago. Yep. Cool. So he's a, so he's kind of a friend of a friend, um, which I didn't know. So I ended up talking with him a bunch, kind of telling him my story, what I was trying to do. And he's like, Hey man, I got the exact same story. I was doing the same thing. Here's what I'm doing now. Like here's the, the success I've had. By the way, Jamie, sorry to keep on interrupting. You even talked like him when you just said that, the way you were explaining it. I don't know if it's a Midwest thing, but um, anyway. Yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, anyway, so I was just, so I ended up taking like, I did, like, he shot me over his like free kind of course he had at the time. And then I ended up paying, uh, paying him as a coach. Nice. Um, so going to your introduction, as far as like starting a course and stuff, like that's something I truly believe in. And a lot of that's because of Willie and the, the, the success I had once I had him in my corner, I had him to help me with deals and, and he really helped expedite my business growth, which was awesome. One of the things I liked about Willie and and you all should find that podcast. I've done two with him. Just go to the real estate investing mastery.com website and do a search for Willie G. You'll find my two episodes with him. The thing I like about what he does is doesn't have to be perfect, right? Like if you, if you see what he does, you'll see, you'll find spelling mistakes and you'll find like, it looks like it's just rushed and put together. But guess what? He's having tremendous success. He doesn't overanalyze things. He takes massive, imperfect action. And he's very doing very, very well in his land business because it's just, it's just ready, fire, aim. 
with his approach. Yeah, I think one thing that Willie does really well is he focuses, well, I like to call it revenue generating activity. Yeah. So that's where his mind's always at. It's like, how can I, where's the revenue generating activity I can do? How does this help produce revenue for my business? And that was one thing that he didn't really, he didn't give me that term per se, but he, I think he embodies that. And that's what he really helps me with. I, I don't necessarily struggle too much with analysis by paralysis or paralysis by analysis, excuse me. But, yeah. but I do get like that fear of like, oh, you know, buying that first property is I'm like, who's going to buy this rural vacant lot? Um, <laughs> like, why am I buying this? Is this yeah. going to work? And he's, you know, having him in my corner at that time saying, no, this is going to work. Trust me. Like, this is a good buy. And so he really gave me what he gave me, what coaching gives me is that it was like that confidence I needed to take that, huh. to take that first like big step of like buying property, sending mail. Cause I had you know, wholesaling. I was doing some of that stuff, but I wasn't having the success yet. So I was more just going deeper and deeper into the hole. Okay. All right. So this was 2019. You were doing land. That's when I started. So yeah, July of 20, I think my first mailer went out August of 2019 and I, I bought, um, the first property I bought was August of 2019. The first property I sold was about October of 2019. So two and a half years ago, yeah. right? All right. So what what uh, areas of the country were you targeting at that time? Yeah. So I was looking for really cheap properties. I started out in Kern County, California, and I worked that area for a little while. Um, and I've expanded quite a lot since then. Okay. Uh, I want to go deeper into your story, but talk a little bit about where you are now. What What kind of volume do you average a month now? Yeah, so I'm doing anywhere from like ten to twenty thousand a month right now. I'm I'm kind of working on different strategies to I'm moving away a little bit from I call it like what I call like Willie's method of kind of quantity and massive deals, where I'm moving more towards keeping the deal flow up, but trying to get bigger, moving into a bigger market value. So that's kind of how I'm working my business right now, or at least my current mindset. Like you mentioned, like I. I cut my teeth on on the finance deals, right? And so now I have a great finance portfolio, and now I'm just I'm asking myself, okay, how do I level up this business? But so that's that's kind of where I'm at, and that's kind of the business I'm doing right now. So what percent of your ten to twenty grand a month is from notes, and what percent is just from wholesaling? Uh, it's about seventy percent from notes. Seventy percent from notes. So then the swing of ten grand is from when you wholesale a deal or not? Is that what you're saying? That's correct. Nice. So on, on your notes, what on average are you collecting a monthly basis on your notes and how many notes do you have? Yeah. So on average, I'm just, I'm just under 200. It's like uh, 185 ish. And right now I have, I believe it's 36 active notes. So you have 36 active notes. Mm-hmm. So, and okay. they range from like, when I first started, I was doing a lot of the $99 a month, but now I'm closer. I've been doing my more recent notes that I do are more between like 250 to 500 plus okay. a month. They stay a little bit more on market. The days on market are higher because of that, but, but okay. I find it to be a little bit more, the, the buyers are a little more consistent once you have them. So you've, when you said 185, is that number of deals you've done? I've done right around 83 deals. 83 deals. Okay. So what was the 185? Like that was my, that's like my average monthly. Oh, your average monthly. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. Sorry. I didn't know if I maybe answered that question wrong. No, nice. Nice. Wrong. I'm just trying to get to the, the, the detailed numbers so people kind of understand or get a picture of it. Mm-hmm. What, yep. you, what you got? So about thirty percent of your deals that come in, you wholesale them for cash, right? I don't. I, I'll buy them. So yeah, I'll okay. buy them and then resell them. So I, right. I have. I do a little bit of wholesaling, but that's a very small part of my business. I thought when I'm talking to someone on the phone, you know, I'm offering let's call it thirty, twenty-five to forty percent. You know, depending on the property. 
And when that buyer is willing to maybe take like a 60% purchase price, maybe it's something I don't want to, I don't want, you know, put my money at risk, you at risk for. So I'll talk to them about, Hey, I can help you wholesale this and explain that process to them. And so that's, that's a pretty small part of my business. All right. So when you say wholesale, because you know, sometimes we think of it different ways, like I've always used wholesale. The term wholesale for land is just when you, when you actually close on it and then you sell it and you, for, for cash, right? But you can also wholesale where you don't actually close on the deal, right? You just, you just sell your contract. So you do like a double close or an assignment or something like that. Yeah. So that's, that's what I think of when I say wholesale. Okay. Okay. I think when you, how you're using wholesale, I think of that more as resale. Ah. Okay. Um, or fix, you know, like a flip. Like when I talk to people, like, what do you do? Um, I say, well, you, you can think of me as a land flipper, right? It's like a house flipper, but yeah. with land. So, All right. So talk about that a little bit because the, the, what you define as wholesaling, you get a property under contract and you, you flip that contract without you closing on it. Okay. Mm-hmm. How do, first of all, when you're talking to a seller, how does your conversation go with them when you're using that strategy? Yeah, that's a great question. So, I mean, I think the first and most important thing is, you know, I'm building rapport with them. I'm trying to understand why they want to sell and, you know, and I'm trying to understand, you know, how long have they owned the property? You know, why do you want to sell this property? What were your plans with this property, et cetera, right? Build that kind of that trust. And then basically what we get to is, let's say, let's say the market value for the property is $10,000 and I'm offering four. They're like, well, you know, I really, I, I need more than four. Can we get six? And then essentially I'll explain to them and say, Hey Joe, like that's, you know, you know, what, one thing I can do for you, Joe, is I can help you sell that property. I'm not a real estate agent, but one thing I do is I do work with a lot of land buyers. So, you know, what I'll do is we, it's called wholesaling where I'll get your property under contract. It gives me the right to go market this property. And what I'm going to try to do, Joe, is I'm going to try to sell it for you know, slightly over 6,000 and whatever I sell it for, I'm going to cover all the closing costs and you're going to get your 6,000 and I'll get whatever I get on top of that. So I just, I just try to be really honest with them and yeah. explain to them that process. Because one thing I feel like I've learned is that when, especially with those lower market deals, which I'll call like, let's call under 15,000 is real estate agents in particular, they're, they're not as, they're not as eager to jump on those deals, yeah. smaller check for them. So a lot of the people who have these properties want to sell them. Um, and maybe it's a little harder for them to work with a realtor. So that's the value that I'm providing to them is, Hey, let me help you get rid of this property. You don't have to go put it on Craigslist by yourself, deal with these buyers. So, and then, so essentially exactly what you said, I have like a title company I like to work with. They kind of know the deal. I'll send them the assignment contract and then I'll sign that to the buyer and then they kind of handle, they handle how it all gets paid out. The, the owner actually gets paid that 6,000. I get paid, let's call it, say we sell it for 10. I'm getting paid 4,000 minus closing costs. So call it 3,000, 2,500, 3,000. So, it's nothing crazy. And that's why it's a small part of my business. And most people aren't interested in that. But it's just a tactic I use on the, when I'm talking to sellers on the phone as another way just to, you know, that revenue generating activity, keep that in mind. Is this a nationwide title company that you use or do you have to find a local title company that lets you, helps you with this? Yeah, I use more, I use local title companies depending where I'm at in the country. Okay, cool. That's my preferred method, at least. All right. Some people here are listening. I mean, they, we're not going to kind of go through the A to Z, the nuts and bolts of how to do a vacant land deal, because we've done a lot of podcasts like that in the past. Let's talk about some of your marketing. What What are some of the marketing methods that you like to use to find your, your land deals? To find on the seller side or the buyer side? Sellers. So, I mean, all, for the most part, all direct mail. 
Cool. I will. So <clears throat> I do a lot of research on the front end, right? I'm looking for good markets. I'm looking for really market. I look at different markets by based on their market value. And that's how I'm determining where I'm going. And then just, you know, getting that, getting that, that data and mailing those, those folks that kind of meet my criteria. And I'll use different mailers, like in a new area, sometimes we'll start out with a neutral offer and you a get a lot more letter. Fun, yeah, neutral, a neutral letter. And you get a lot more phone calls that way. And that's, to me, it's market research as well as finding that lead, that distressed sellers, right? So I'm answering those phone calls. I'm keeping information. I'm keeping notes on, all right, these people, everyone wants to sell a property for $12,000 to $15,000. So that's where the, I can tell that's where, the, where they think the market's at. So then I can go back. If I'm getting a few deals, I'll go back and I'll, I'll adjust my prices based on what I, based on that market data I was receiving directly. And then when I do find a good area, especially if it's a smaller, especially if it's more of a smaller area and it's like a non-disclosure state, it's a lot of, I'll skip trace some of those and I'll call the people and, and I'll do some of that, you know, just direct cold calls. Okay. Um, but I don't do that too often unless I'm really hyper targeting an area. All right. And then what, how often do you send a blind offer letter? Uh, so most of my, it's probably, I don't have the exact number in my head, but it's, I probably spend about 20 to 25% neutral offers and then 75% blind offers. Okay. Have you ever, we're running into this right now with some of our counties where you find little pockets in that county where you just get a lot of calls, right? And then mm-hmm. you, you start to get nervous thinking, oh man, this must be an HOA that is very difficult to sell properties in, or it must be an HOA that is difficult to work with and people are just sick of it and they want to get out. Do you, do you, what do you do when you find that kind of a, an area or a pocket where you're getting a lot of calls from a lot of people in that little area right there? Yeah. So that's, that brings up two flags for me, right? One is exactly what you said. All right. Is this an area that people don't want to be in? Is this an area people are just trying to get their pro- rid of their properties? Doesn't matter what it costs, right? That's like a red flag, right? The other one is, especially if it's a blind offer. It's like, was my blind offer too high? Am I getting, I'm getting this many phone calls. Is it because I'm offering too much? So that's where I'd maybe readjust my strategy of, all right, one, I guess going to number one first, is that's where it comes to building that rapport on the phone with people, which is why I like to talk to the sellers. Yeah, Like I do use a service to have a live answer, but then I like to talk to the sellers so I can understand why they want to sell. And then if I'm hearing that, if I'm hearing, you know, well, I just don't like the HOA and blah, 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 or, you know, trying to get that out of them. That's right there. It's like, okay, maybe this isn't the right spot for me to invest in. But a lot of that just, you have to just talk to the people. And then the second one I'll do is, okay, I'm not getting that type of feedback from the seller on the phone. It doesn't seem like it's a necessarily a bad, bad area. So I think my offer is probably too high. So maybe I'm going to adjust that five to 10% lower. Okay. You know, with, with owner financing, though, I mean, it seems like, in my experience and just people I've talked to, mm-hmm. when you're selling a piece of land with owner financing, it's almost impossible not to sell it. Uh, there's always going to be somebody that will be willing to make payments on it. So, like, would you still buy a vacant lot in an HOA like that that has restrictions? You know, you can't camp on it more than six months out of the year or something like that. Um, would you still buy a lot cheap and sell it on owner financing in that kind of a neighborhood? That makes sense? Yeah, it does make sense. You know, I I agree with you. I'll get to that. Like, I remember when I was about a year or so into this, year and a half in, I, I ran into a seller who, he owned like hundreds of properties. I ended up buying like 30 properties from him. And that really is what helped grew my business really fast was this one kind of deal. And 
often I have a lot of fear come into my business, like into to my head of like, oh my gosh, like, am I going to be able to do this? Like, is this a mistake? And now I have all these properties, all these notes, right? And like, what if the market crashes? What if this happens? And I was, so I got really, I got really scared in the business of like, of like, what if happens if I have a hundred, if I have like all these defaults, right? And I actually got a chance to, I don't know if you know the real estate radio guys. Yeah. Um, so I got a chance to talk with Russell Gray at a conference. Oh, cool. Yeah. And I was kind of telling him like what I was going through like mentally. And that's the one thing he said to me is like, you know, if you're willing to sell and underfinance, like you're always going to be able to find buyers. There's always going to be people in the market who are, who are willing to do that, especially if, especially if, you know, you're, you're buying right, you know, but he, and what he meant by that is like, I'm not buying lots in the middle of nowhere with no access, et cetera. So to go to your question, the big thing for me is to understand that pocket, right? You know, is the HOA, how much does the HOA fee cost? One. So if I'm going to sell owner finance, HOA fee plus taxes, if I, if I end up holding it for X amount of months, like what's, what's the cost to me? Yeah. Um, what's my risk? So that's the first thing I kind of take into account. And then it's, okay, what, what can I sell this for? What's the market value? So if it meets my criteria, as far as like, you know, it has good access, it has, you know, it's not a flood zone or, you know, wetland, et cetera. Like those, you know, kind of, I'd say typical things, then yes, I normally still move forward. But, and sometimes, you know, it's calling the HOA and just understanding, understanding the rules even better, not just from the seller side, but from the actual HOA. It's funny you talk about this because like, I've done lots of deals. I don't know how many, but like, I still get a fear every time I go into a new market, man. Am I going to get stuck with this deal if I buy it, right? What if I don't sell it? What if there's something wrong with it? Because it's just a fear that, you know, you, you get better with handling it the longer you are in the business, right? But it's a new county. It's a new state. You've never been there before. There's always these little things that will crop up and try to discourage you. And I don't know what it is. There's, there's these gremlins out there. And it's not just for land, right? It's, it's for houses and stuff like that. But yeah, I hear yeah. that a lot. It's something I really had to like work with on like myself. Like that's been what I realized about two years, probably pretty recently, six to eight months ago was like, I was like, the biggest thing holding me back is like, it's my own head because I do enter these new areas and I do get this fear of like, do I really know what I'm doing? Like I have, you know, I have the success, but like, do I really know that this is going to work in this area? And, you know, part of it's trusting that process because you've developed it, you've made mistakes, you've learned from those mistakes, but same thing still happens to me, right? I mean, I've been doing it for a lot, you know, less time than you have. But so that's kind of reassuring to me that like that's not like my yeah. I'm not the only one experiencing that. You're not alone, I, which I kind of know. But it's still like when you're doing it day to day, um, it's it's definitely something that that has slowed my business down because of me second guessing myself and probably passing on deals that I shouldn't have passed on. Yeah. What's your goal when you're selling with owner financing? Is it to make your money back in a year? Yeah, that's typically my goal. Can you guys, let me let me rewind a little bit. Do you understand what that means, y'all? Make your money back in one year. And if you're using your own cash, that's a 100% cash on cash return in your first year. That is really, really good. 100% cash on cash return. People that are buying houses, rental properties or apartment buildings or whatever, they're hoping to get 10 to 12% cash on cash, maybe 15% if they're really, really good. Speaking of the Rich Dad, Poor Dad book, he talks a lot about that in there, right? Mm -hmm. um, getting 100% cash on cash return on your money is phenomenal. Just incredible. Yeah, I think on the on the housing side, like residential housing side, at least, I think a slam dunk deal, some would say is 11, 12%. Mm -hmm. That's, uh, that's a good deal with leverage, with going into a bunch of debt. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing I'll say to that, to kind of your point here too, though, is uh, it does depend on the market value of the property. So if it's, you know, I think if you get above 10, 15,000, that getting paid back in that first year is a little bit more unrealistic. All right. So you um, get 50% cash on cash return. Exactly. So, but yeah, that's still great, you know, with, yeah. you know, relative, relative to the other niches of real estate, it's still fantastic. Yeah. Good. Some of you guys are asking some good questions here, Ralph. Yes. I love that hundred percent return first year. That's awesome. Liz has a good question here and we'll answer that in a second. So I just want you all to know if you're watching this or listening on Facebook or YouTube right now, type in the comments and we can put your questions down below for Jamie. All right. Uh, Jamie, let's talk about your funds for your deals, right? So I'm assuming you probably use some of your own money to acquire your first few deals. Are you still using your own money or are you partnering with other people? Are you borrowing private money? What are you doing there? Yeah, that's a great question. I think this is probably the biggest hurdle everyone runs into right away in this business. Uh, so when I first started, I, I started with my, own, with my own capital. But after my first basically round of buying properties, I was out of capital. And I really didn't know what I was going to do. I looked at using Fund and Grow and a few things like that. But I actually had uh, a friend approach me. I had like one or two like cash, cash sales. And I just had talked to him about it a couple of times. And he came to me and was like, hey, if I gave you, I think it was like, if I gave you $10,000, like, can we go do this together? So, so ever since then, I started using partners on most of my deals. So probably about 60% of the deals I move forward with now are, are partners. So I'll have, okay. and it, it varies on kind of the, the profit split, depending on the deal, depending, sometimes I'll throw money into the deal too. So I have different structures that I'll work, but, but yeah, I definitely have utilized outside like OPM, right? Other people's money is doing these deals. All right. So you will, you'll put, instead of paying them an interest rate, you're, you're partnering with them and splitting percent of the profits, right? Correct. What is some of the range that you split of the profits? It's generally anywhere from like 30. So I'm I'm generally getting anywhere from 70 to 50%. Okay. 60 to 70%? 70. Okay. Sorry, 50 to 70. So they're getting anywhere from, so my, my partner is getting anywhere from 30 to 50%. Okay, cool. Yeah, somebody just asked that question. How do you partner your 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 deals? So you're you're doing a JV agreement, mm-hmm. right? Nice thing about that is uh, you don't have to make payments if you don't receive money from that in that month on that deal. You don't have to make an interest payment to your investor, right? Yeah, and I mean the one thing too that I've learned is communicating with that partner when that situation happens because you do get people who default on your properties. Mm-hmm. It's, it's inevitable, especially when you're in those lower market values, because someone's paying you $99 a month, you know, they might not be the most financially secure person. So if they, if something happens to them, they might lose the ability to pay you. So what I've learned with that is just, just to always communicate that with your partner, with your, yeah. with your partner. So they, they're in the loop. And uh, so they're not like, Hey, Jamie, where's, where's my monthly payment? Or however you, some people do monthly, some people do quarterly, but that's just how yeah. I think it's good to, the communication is key there. All right, cool. Um, let's talk about tools, CRMs. Um, first of all, where are you getting your lists from? Yeah, so I'm, I use Priced. Cool. I, I used to use Datatree. Uh, so I'm a recent convert to Price, yeah. um, which used is Datatree's data. So I, I think Price is great. And so that's where I'm getting all my lists nowadays. Yeah. What have you found with their, their pricing? You know, because they'll scrape actives and solds to get approximate pricing what are there's any tricks or hacks that you've found to get better pricing from them or is it good just kind of their default settings and how it comes out 
I think Dowdry, or excuse me, I think priced is pretty good. I think it's a good data point, especially. So I like how they break it down to you can like before you download the data, you can have part of the part of the data download is you can have them break it from like a five percent to a ninety five percent offer range. So in you know, I think generally most land investors are anywhere from twenty five to forty percent. Like that's what they're offering, right? So to me, I like to I like to look at that and then I do my own research, right? I'm not just relying on on price, especially when you're in those smaller pockets, like that HOA example you gave, right? I'm I'm trying to get really familiar with what our property is for sale and selling for. And I would say generally priced is in that ballpark. Yeah. But not always. Uh, the non-disclosure states obviously is is better than the than or the disclosure states are better than the non-disclosure states. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so who do you use to send your mail through? Yeah, so um, this is kind of combined, but so I I use Pebble for my CRM. Okay, cool. So which is a great CRM. So I can send the mail through them. Um, I also so and then they use Rocket Print and Mail. Yeah. So I, I was using Rocket Print and Mail, um, and then uh, now it's mostly just on Pebble. Okay, cool. Uh, Pebble is a CRM that Jesse Kwong has built, mm-hmm. those of you are curious. And I've interviewed him on my podcast. If you go to realestateinvestingmastery.com, look at my podcast and go to the search bar, do a search for K-W-O-N-G, Kwong. And uh, it's a good episode I did with him. And so- He has a lot of great resources on his yeah. website. So talk about Pebble a little bit. I've looked into it. I like FreedomSoft better, just personal preference. And I think it can do more. But why do you like Pebble? What is it about it? Well, to be honest, I- I was one of those guys who was using an Excel sheet for a long time. So with my full-time job, I was using a couple of different like CRMs. So I wouldn't say I'm like a, I'm not super experienced with a lot of different CRMs. So Pebble for me, what I liked about it is I like that it gives me my statistics. Like I like that it gives me, all right, what's my average mail drip per day? or And I can see, you know, how I'm doing. Um, and that kind of, that kind of shows me, all right, I notice when I'm consistent, I'm still getting deals. And I notice when, I, when I'm not sending mail or whatever, my, my deal flow goes down, right? So I kind of like that visual. <clears throat> I like how it keeps my response rate. So it's like when I'm getting a phone call or email or mail back, you know, I put that into Pebble and I, it's, you know, so it constantly is updating that. Versus, well, what's interesting is you can, you can drip your mail out, right? You don't have to send yes. a thousand at a time. You can send 50 a day if you want, right? Exactly. And I think that's super, I think that might be one of the most valuable tools of Pebble because when I was using rocket print mail, you have to send a minimum 500 units at a time. And so that, that HOA example or that small pocket example we talked about, let's say you're saying you get a lot of phone calls back. And so let's say like keep a number simple, a $10,000 market value. And we were offering 5,000 because we thought it maybe was a $15,000 market value there. And also I'm getting a lot of phone calls back. I can on Pebble you can pause your campaign. So I can say, okay, I realized that I probably offered too high of a number here. So I can pause my campaign on Pebble and then I can readjust my offer price. So maybe I've already sent out a third, maybe I've sent out a third of my mail and then the next two thirds I could send, so in 5,000, now I'm sending maybe 3,000 out. I think that's my, that's my blind offer. And I can see how that impacts that, that response rate. Does Pebble allow you to use your own reference letter, reference ID? So sometimes yeah, you can you know, up, I, I believe you can upload your own. Okay. And so when they and they call in, you can search for that contact by that reference number? Yep. Nice. Okay. You can search by the reference number or the APN, um, I think even the owner's name. Nice. 
I love Pebble. It looked really good. The only thing I didn't like about it, and I've talked to Jesse, is like you have to use an outside phone service. And there's not a way in that record to show all of the phone conversations, texts, and emails related to that lead in the CRM. Yeah. I wish they could do that because it'd be awesome. Um, but anyway, it's it's still a good tool. And I've never found one CRM that does everything I want. But Exactly, yeah. Um, yeah. For me, it's worked. I don't know how much I feel like the biggest fear I have with Pebble is, you know, it can feel pricey, but I, but it's really good value, I think, for what you get. All right. Okay, so you're using Pebble for your CRM. What are you using for your phones when you're making outbound or calls or you're getting inbound calls? So if I'm, if I'm ever doing an outbound call myself, I'm normally just using my own cell. And so you put that, your cell phone on the letters and postcards? No, 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 no. What I'm saying is like, what I, what I mean by outbound is that if I'm reaching out, if I'm doing a cold okay. call, okay. if I'm doing something like that, and mostly I'm doing that when I'm hyper-focused on one area. And like, if I have a buyer in an area that I know is interested in properties and I can just go and like, and I can go and find those phone numbers around the area and I can just call all 20 people. Um, so that's what I mean by outbound. By inbound, I guess when sellers are, are calling me, I use a Pat Live okay. as a live answering service. And then I'll just follow up again with just my own cell phone. Okay. What are you using then for payments? When you're collecting payments? Right now, I've been using Moonclerk. Moonclerk. Okay. Somebody is uh, like, what? Moon what? M-O-O-N. M-O-O-N. Clerk. C-L-E-R-K. Moonclerk.com. That's correct. Yep. Cool. And that uses uses Stripe, right? Yep. Okay. No problems? No issues? Uh, No. I think it's honestly super simple and straightforward. Yeah. Would you be prepared if there did become an issue, if Stripe shuts you down, would you have a way to um, start charging your customers' cards again another way? Does that make sense? Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind, that would obviously cause a hiccup, but... Uh, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is I've used like, I maybe just have to send out in the short term, like PayPal. And then I'd probably be reaching out to people like you saying, Hey Joe, like, what do you do? How do you, like, how are you sending out these for your notes? Um, but I haven't ever had an issue yet. Um, I remember talking to Willie about that too, because I think he's the one who got me onto Moonclerk, but can't remember. But um, anyways. Um, is he still using Moonclerk, by the way? I, I have no idea. Because he's doing a lot of volume. I, I hope he is. Yeah, he That'd does, be cool. Yeah, he does a lot of volume. But yeah, I have no idea, to be honest. It's a good platform to get started on. But I've heard, yeah. that, you know, once you start growing and doing a lot of volume, it, become, it can become a little more difficult. All right. So let's talk about how you're advertising your properties. Yeah. So I use, well, for when I first got started, I was doing a, almost 100% on Facebook Marketplace. Um, and I use the Landmaster VAs. Um, and they would post it. They would post my properties on like Facebook, on Craigslist. They used to post them on Zillow before it got kind of difficult to post them on Zillow. And then I have a Land.com account, so I'm posting on Landwatch, Lands of America, etc. Um, and then if I'm doing larger properties, I'll actually use realtors to actually go out and market those properties. What is a larger property? What price point? I'd say uh, anything over like fifteen thousand to twenty thousand. Okay. Who are you doing? Like, are you doing the ads yourself or the pictures yourself? You know, when you do the Google Earth images, or you 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 draw out the the actual plot. Uh, you know, are you doing that yourself, or are you getting VAs to do that for you? Yeah. So the Landmaster, I believe that's what they're called. They they're my VAs. I, I they do all my images, my ad nice. content. It's definitely not a strong suit of mine. So I I knew I had to outsource that right away. Landmasters. That's pretty yeah. cool. 
I've heard good things about them. We just hired a different VA company and my assistant just texted me a few minutes ago that uh, she doesn't like them. <laughs> so <laughs> we might be looking for a new one soon here. Yeah, I've used a, I used a, I've used at least one other uh, virtual assistant service. Um, and they were more, I used, they were the first time I ever had someone else answering the phones, not me. And they were good. I just, uh, I don't know, we sent, I, I felt like I could find better value somewhere else. I just texted her that you like Landmasters VA. See what she says. <laughs> All right. And um, they kind of help create the, the the postings for you, right? The the images and stuff like that. Um, right. And then you put it on your website still? Do you do you use a, one of Jesse Kwong's websites also? Yes, I do. Yep. So I post it on my website. And you know, most of the time, people are, are not organically finding my website. It's normally, most of my volume comes nowadays from like Lands of America. Okay. Thanks for most people finding my properties. And it used to be almost 100% coming from, I mean, most coming from Facebook for a long time. Has it been harder to post on Facebook Marketplace for you or are you still yeah. doing all right with that? Yeah, it's definitely. Well, especially if I have my VA's post, it almost instantly gets flagged. Um, why is that such a problem? Why, why is Facebook having a uh, conniption fit about that? Well, what I've, what I've understood is that I think it's because the, the IP address associated with my virtual assistant is located in the Philippines, not in you know, North Carolina where I live, right? So I think they, you know, their system can identify that. And that's one of the reasons it gets flagged. But as far as when you, I've actually gone through and read the community standards, because this was a huge headache for me for a while. And I was like, I have no idea what rule I'm breaking. Like I've gone through this twice now and I don't understand. But I, I know some people that work at Facebook and I started asking them questions. And that was kind of the, the best guesstimate I was given. I've always just had my other uh, business partner take care of this for me, but like you, you put it on the Facebook page. So you have a business, business Facebook page, right? Mm -hmm. And then from there, that's what you, you put it on a Facebook marketplace. Is that right? Or is, is it your business page? That's your, the profile that you're putting it onto marketplace with? Yeah. So I think we were just posting. Them direct, I, so I haven't been on Facebook probably about six months to eight months, but I, I believe we were just posting them directly to Facebook marketplace. Maybe that was our problem. Okay. Have you ever done, you mentioned uh, having a hard time putting it on Zillow. What, what do you mean by that? Trying to list it on Zillow as a for sale by owner? Is that the problem you were having? Yeah, because I think that you need to be like an agent to post on Zillow or you have to, especially with using the virtual assistants, they would post it on Zillow and then Zillow would have to like call me to verify it. And, and then I just was, I just was like kind of looking back at the business and saying, okay, I'm getting almost 0% of my of my of my business from Zillow. Yeah. So I said, let's just we don't need to do this. We have other websites that are getting more traction. Have you ever put it on a, like a flat fee listing broker service, like a flat fee listing for ninety nine bucks? You can then get it out on Zillow, Trulia, Redfin, all the different realtor websites. I thought about doing that, but I've, I've personally I haven't had issues selling my properties just yeah. using land uh, using my land dot com account and and used to be Facebook. If people are wondering, land.com is the site that owns Lands of America, landwatch.com, land and farm. Land land yep. yeah. Cool. Who, how are you handling the calls from buyers when they call in? So the first thing that happens is they go to my Pat Live answer. Uh, they have a script they follow and they essentially are qualifying the property and qualifying the seller. The buyers? On the buy side, you're saying? Yeah, yeah. When, when, you're, I, when, when I'm buyers selling, are calling, how do you handle those calls? Oh, I handle those all myself. So, you do? Um, okay. Yeah, so 
I'm getting a notification. They're either calling me or emailing me, um, or and that. So I just respond to them. I try to get back to them as fast as I can, and so I just try to be really familiar with the properties that I have, and so that way I can talk to them and just talk, you know, talk them through that process. Um, when I use a realtor, obviously the realtor is handling that. Yeah. Nice. Um, what would you say to somebody that is just getting started, Jamie? Um, they've heard some interests. They're tired. You know, they're tired of me talking about land investing all the time. And they're like, I might want to start doing it myself. What would you, what would your advice be to somebody who's new? Well, well, I guess depending where you're at in the process, right? I think if you've been listening to Joe for a long time and you think you have an idea of what this is, then you got to pick a county and you got to send some mail and just test the process. I think a lot of people get hung up with, I need to open up an LLC and need to get a bank, a business bank account. I need to do all these, all these different things versus just testing the business model first. So if you're comfortable taking those first steps of saying, okay, I've learned from Joe that this is how you kind of pick a market. This is how you send direct mail. So I'm going to give it a shot. Like that's, if you're comfortable doing something like that, that would be what I would suggest. So get out of your comfort zone. Exactly. And that's that fear that you and I both talked about, right? I always, I have like a sticky note that says fear equals growth. Like, so just to remind myself, this is what's supposed to feel like. But I think also, I mean, the biggest thing for me is getting into a course or finding a coach um, and having someone who has that experience because yeah. I think as an entrepreneur, you have to ask yourself, what's the fastest way to get from A to B? And for me, the answer has always been find someone who's done this, who's a level above me or more and have them walk me through that process. And just because do what they say. Exactly. Just successfully exclude. Questioning right? so, it and just do it. Yeah. So that's, that's been the biggest, that has no. by far been the biggest thing that's, that's grown me from zero to a hundred thousand and then beyond was getting coaches for those different phases of my business. Nice. All right. What else was I going to ask you? I think we're good. Um, what's it going to take to get you to quit your job and do land just full time? That's, that's honestly the goal this year. So I'm just trying to increase really my net profit this year so that I can feel comfortable 100%. Well, I kind of took that step and took a step back, but so that's, that's really where my goal is, you know, was really by the end of April that I cut the ties and just go full, go all in. Do you feel like you could make more money if you had more time to devote to the land business? I think really it's the almost beyond the time. It's the, just the mental like ability to focus on that one thing huh. where I don't have to switch gears throughout the day where, so I think, yes, like to get, have, if I had more time just to focus on the one thing, yes, I think that would definitely help. I could look at more, I could look at more places to invest. I could review more deals quickly. I could get back to you faster. And like I travel for like my full-time job. So, you know, so eliminate you, that. So you do so, travel for your job. Yeah. So to eliminate that, which obviously frees up a lot of time. And yeah, but, but I think for the most time, like for me, someone working full-time, I think I'm really lucky because I have, I've been working from home for a long time, which I've always had the ability to balance both of these um, and manage my own time. Um, but for someone who's working full-time at a, like at an office job, that, that I think would be much trickier. Does your employer know you're doing land on the side? Yeah. Okay. So are you are you part time with your company? Not technically. No, technically I'm full time. Okay, man, you're still young. Health insurance is not that expensive for a young guy. Yeah. And you're married, if you don't mind me asking. I'm I'm not. Okay. Well, you could go out no, and marry think... a wife who's got <laughs> health insurance. Then you don't have to worry about it, right? Yeah, that's a good. That's you know that's a good strategy. Just, just go get married. Go find somebody who's got health insurance. I'm sure somebody listening to this, Jamie, is is uh, single. 
and uh, has good health insurance and would love to uh, talk to you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, this is no, it's, not, it's not a bad strategy. Honestly, it's it goes back to just like the, I think part of it, I think Robert Kiyosaki says like the biggest addiction that we have is our salary. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I think I, I feel that of like missing that like consistent pay. And then my other thing that I like run into mentally, I would say is like, it's like, okay, well, if I keep the salary, then I can keep 100% reinvesting everything into yeah. the business. And that's where I'm like, that's where you say I'm still young. So it's like, okay, well, if I can balance these both and I can just keep reinvesting, then I can keep growing. But to your point, if I had more time and more focus, I could probably, I could probably do that anyways. And the ceiling is you know, much higher. For me, it was for three, I wanted to make, well, I wanted to have a year's worth of living expenses in the bank. That wasn't good. Mm-hmm. For, for me, then I decided, all right, well, if I can, for three months, if I can consistently for three months in a row, make more money doing deals than I was part-time than I was in my full-time job, that's when I'll quit. And that's when I had my wife's encouragement and, and you know, faith in me that, yeah, okay, this is going to work. So, but it was a big step of faith, man, a big leap of faith. You just, you just don't know what's going to happen. But I'm so glad I did, man. That was 13 years ago. Next month, it'll be 13 years. But anyway, Jamie, thanks well, so much. How can I'll people let you know when I I'll let you know when I officially cut the cord? Please do, man. Let me know. Send me an email. Send me a text or something. We'll do. Maybe we'll get you back on the podcast. Yeah, it'd be <laughs> awesome. Uh, Jamie, how can people reach you if they you know want to maybe partner with you on some land deals? Uh, yeah, so you can find me on Facebook. My name is Jamie Goldenberg, right? And I that's probably the best way. If okay. You find me on Facebook. I have an Instagram, but J underscore Instaberg too. But that's like. I'd say Facebook's probably where you could message me a lot easier. Nice. All right. Thank you very much, Jamie. Appreciate you. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate you, Joe. Thanks for having me on. And next time you see uh, Willie or talk to him, say hi to him for me. Will do.